Father, we come before you tonight, and once again, Lord, we ask that you would take our, receive our worship to you in song, that you would use these songs not only to be a blessing to you, but to encourage our hearts as well. I just ask for ability to teach tonight, and Lord, it would give us strength, encouragement, and confidence in your word and in your will in our lives. We ask you to work that you may be glorified in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And I apologize in advance. I don't have an outline to hand out tonight, uh, but would like you to follow along with me through God's word. And the subject I would like to cover tonight is uh, one that you hear about just all the time, signs and wonders. Uh, it doesn't matter where you go. In fact, when I was talking to uh, the family at, at the funeral home, uh, everybody's got, you know, they, when you start talking about the Bible, they're going to tell you what they know and invariably something everybody knows about. Certainly this is the end times. The signs are there. The signs of the times are everywhere. Even the line out of a song and and uh, as I was just pondering, we're not in an actual uh, series now. And, and we mention this all the times going through the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, there were actual signs and wonders uh, repeated in the lives of the apostles. And uh, people want to argue about why those things don't happen today. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to just start at the beginning The first time the word sign is mentioned in your Bible is in Exodus chapter 4. Now, how many people know what was happening in Exodus chapter 4? God was getting a hold of Moses. God wanted Moses to go into Egypt. God was going to use Moses to uh, bring his people, Israel, out of Egypt. And uh, God was talking with Moses and calling him. And so, as we have this idea, you have to understand, Israel was now slaves in Egypt. Uh, They had been there for generations. There was no regular worship. There were no written scriptures. Uh, The only thing that they had was tradition from Abraham. And part of that tradition was the circumcision of all the male children. That happened in the land of Egypt. But when they wandered in the wilderness, they did not take care of that as they should. And when they entered the promised land, that was the first thing that was done. And and so I want you to understand that there was a, a translation of information about God and who God was and what He had done. And even though the children of Israel were enslaved, they still, in their pain and their suffering, who did they cry to? They cried to God. We do not know exactly how many years the children of Israel were enslaved, but uh, one year would be one too many. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? And and so uh, it may have been a generation or more that God allowed them to pray And seemingly did nothing. You know, God is very good at that. Being very quiet and everything is just 
going crazy all around us. How many of you have ever been there? And it seems like God is very quiet. And you get right up to the last minute. Something has got to happen right now. And God's right there on time. Everything works. How many of you have ever had the privilege of being there? You know what God's doing? He is stretching your faith. And it's really easy for us to get caught up in this signs and wonders thing. I don't know how many people have said something like, well, everything's gone wrong today, God must be mad at me. Is that true? Is that a biblical understanding of God? Because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we've gone through that so many times this year as our theme has been on faith. He that cometh to God must believe what? That he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is, and God is good. Even when bad things happen to me, God is still good. Could we say amen to that? It doesn't feel good, but it's still God being good. And that's where we have to be careful because these signs and wonders, even uh, I've heard even Bible-believing Christians talk about this thing as if God was proving His Word. And I'm getting ahead of the message here a little bit. But let's go to Exodus chapter 4, verse 8. This is the first time the word sign is used. It says, And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Now Moses goes on to his next excuse, and we're going to leave it there, but here's what God did. Moses asked God a question, and he, and he says, Who are you? And they're not going to believe me. They're, they're not going to say. They're, verse 1, let's just read it. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And then God gave Moses these signs. He took his rod, which was a piece of wood. He threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. He grabbed it by the tail, and it became a piece of wood again. Can I challenge you? No magician in the history of mankind has ever accomplished that. And yet, when Moses went to Pharaoh, it said every one of Pharaoh's magicians cast their rods down and they became serpents. Now, here was the story from what we understand about history, was the Egyptians had cultured a a snake, had raised it, domesticated it, and when you held it a certain way, the snake would be very rigid, and when you dropped it on the ground, it it was an illusion. 
You see, there's a difference between an illusion and a miracle. We call them magicians because we like to believe that he's really pulling the rabbit out of the hat. Now, how many of you believe he's really pulling a rabbit out of the hat? I don't know where he got the rabbit. Looks good. My, my wife and I were joking the other day that we got a little video of her uncle who's now with the Lord. And he had a little trick, and he called it the egg bag trick. And he would take the egg, because he was from West Virginia, it's not an egg. And, and he would put it in the bag, and he would smash the bag flat and turn it outside, and there was no egg in there. And then he would explain how he did the trick. And when he was done, you were more confused than when you started. And he was just really good at hiding the egg. And, uh, but that's not what Moses did. Moses had a sign. He had a real wood rod that became a real snake that became real wood again. And then God said, if they won't believe that one, try this. Put your hand in your bosom. So he puts his hand in his coat like this and he pulls it out and his hand is covered with leprosy. Now, leprosy was a death notice. It was far more serious in those days than cancer uh, is in our day. If you had leprosy, you were going to die. Maybe it's going to take 15 or 20 years, but you're going to die. And you're going to die from leprosy. And it's going to be a horrible, slow, painful, terrible death. And so Moses sticks his hand in and pulls it out and it's leprous. He puts it back in and pulls it out and it's normal. And no, he didn't go down to the local manufacturer and get a prosthetic, a movie prop made that he could stick in his coat and pull his hand out and make it appear that way. It actually was. And God said these were signs. Now, number one, in the first place, to whom were these signs directed? They were directed to God's people that already claimed to believe in God, who were the physical descendants of Abraham, who were trying to worship God as best they could, as Abraham did. They did not have a written word. They did not have all of the things that we do today. And so God gave them signs. Here's what those signs were to do. Number one, they were to prove that Moses was the man of God. Because Moses did these miracles that God gave him as a sign to say, Moses is God's prophet. Number two, it was to verify, it was to certify that the message that Moses had came from God. Amen? And this should not be astounding to anyone here tonight. But the third part was... Now that we, you have a messenger from God, now that you have a message from God, there's something that you're supposed to do. There is obedience to the command. 
That, that is the pattern of the signs. And everywhere you see them in the Bible, you're, you're going to see these things. They prove that the messenger came from God. They prove that the message is of God. And they prove that there's something that you'd better do. There is obedience required. Now, let's go to Exodus chapter 31, and we're going to see this used just a little differently. Exodus chapter 31, uh, there were many signs and wonders. They were given to Pharaoh. But let me ask you a question. Did the signs and wonders do Pharaoh any good? No, he died in the Red Sea with the rest of his army. There were some of the Egyptians, a mixed multitude that were part Jewish, part Egyptian, that followed the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the signs and wonders had their primary impact on the children of Israel, on God's people, to believe His Word and to follow Him until they stood at the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army at their back. Well... That should have proved something until they got three days into the wilderness and didn't have water. And then they were complaining. And even 40 years later, they ran out of water after God had supplied it so many times and frustrated Moses to the point that he struck the rock instead of speaking to it as God said and was not allowed to enter into the promised land. You see, signs... And wonders will only take you so far. Once the message and the messenger has been verified, that's where it stops. Signs will not compel your obedience. That's a choice you must make based on faith. And this is one of the reasons why we say we have one Bible. There's no contradiction between Old and New Testament. Faith is obedience to God's Word as it is revealed. Moses was not responsible for understanding the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hadn't happened yet. Adam wasn't responsible for keeping the Sabbath. By the way, neither was Abraham. Because God had not set up an ordinance in the law that says, Thou shalt keep the Sabbath day. And this study, and we're not going to take time to go into that tonight, we call that dispensationalism. Dispensationalism, just a big word, for a method of Bible study for rightly dividing the word of truth, for being able to separate things and being able to reassemble them in a harmonious fashion so that we can see the plan of God. But here in Exodus chapter 31, uh, we're going to go down to verse 13. Well, let's start in verse 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it is a sign. Between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy unto you. Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death. 
For whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy unto the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. Verse 17, twice it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. So God said to Moses, I'm going to give you these signs to prove my veracity, to prove that I sent you, to prove that you are the one I sent and that your message is true. And here, he says, I'm going to give you a sign. The Sabbath is Saturday. When I was a little kid here in the United States, in Maryland, where I grew up, we had what was called blue laws. How many are old enough to remember blue laws? They did not allow any of the stores to sell alcohol on Sunday. Most stores closed. The only things that were open were pharmacies and, and, and places where if people needed an emergency, uh, the, there were some places where all the stores were closed. Uh, only certain things like some, at first it was gas stations and then convenience stores and then supermarkets. And now everything's open Whenever it needs to be, and if it's not open, you just go online and do Fresh Direct or whatever. I mean, it really, uh, we had them delivering Sunday morning right in front of the church, almost time of the service one time. It's like, you guys can't do this. Uh, you can deliver your food anywhere, but the church parking zone is not for Fresh Direct to deliver during church service. And uh, uh, it just frustrates me a little bit, but... You read any of the evangelical literature, we're talking about Bible-believing people, Baptist, uh, Methodist, and, and it all talks about keeping the Sabbath, talking about Sunday. Nothing could be more hopelessly incorrect. The Sabbath is not Sunday. The Sabbath is not a day of worship. It says right here, it's a covenant of rest. That was a sign for the children of Israel. It was to separate them from all of the other peoples that lived in the land. How many days does the average person work in New York City? Seven days a week, right? Uh, There's very few jobs that you can get where Sunday is not treated as any other day of the week, especially if you're in a medical field. And uh, uh, there are laws. If you reach an agreement with your employer before you start work, that you will not work on Sunday for religious reasons, they cannot make you work Sundays 
And they cannot fire you for not working Sundays, but that only applies before they hire you. It has to be a condition of employment. And that's still the law in the United States. But let me ask you a question. Am I any more spiritual if I don't work on Sundays? Well, if you sleep in and don't go to church, what good does it do you, right? But my spirituality is not measured in the hours or the days that I work, but I need to set priorities, amen? And if it's all possible, I need to be in church when church has services. And that's something that we need to work at. But here, the Jewish people had a sign. Every Saturday, every seventh day, no work. Ladies, how good would it be in your home if you were not allowed to light the stove for 24 hours starting at sunset Friday to sunset Saturday? How many husbands would be happy to eat cold food? Uh, And the microwave is included. By the way, uh, if you lit a candle... You were kindling a flame. And so the only light that you were allowed on the Sabbath was that of sunlight. You see, the Sabbath was never intended to be a day of worship. That was supposed to be every day. The Sabbath was a day of rest, and it was a sign to the Jewish people. What did it do? It reminded them that there is a Creator. Number one. And number two, that that Creator cares about me because He wants me to rest. And and number three, it reminds me that I'm different from everybody else. That I don't operate just the way the world operates. I, uh, I obey God and He said we're not to work on Saturday, so we don't work on Saturday. Now, we have one more sign, and that's in Joshua chapter 4. And verse 6, and this is, again, a little different. I've picked the signs that were somewhat different. We have miraculous events. We have the keeping of the Sabbath. And now we're going to have a pile of stones. In Joshua 4 and verse 6, it says that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? This was a sign. As the children of Israel came through the Jordan River, Joshua had picked out twelve men, and they were to pick up a big stone out of the middle of the river, and they were to carry that to the bank of the river and pile up twelve stones. Now, how many of you have ever gone wading in a mountain stream or uh, something like that, a little creek? Uh, The stones in the water are different than the stones on the land. Everybody together on that? They're very different. The water running over the stones makes them very smooth. It wears them differently. And so... These weird-looking stones were sitting on dry land. 
And it was to be that when the children asked, What mean ye by these stones? That they were to explain that God, by miraculous effort, brought us through the Jordan River at a flood time, at, its, at the worst time of the year. And these stones are a reminder of what God has done for us. That this sign was to make people ask. And by the way, children love to ask questions, don't they? But do they ask questions about something they have no understanding exists? Now, usually questions are connected to something, aren't they? Is that flying thing a bee? Is it going to sting me? No, it's just a plain old house fly. Leave it alone. Don't worry. Stop screaming. It's okay. Uh, Kids ask questions about things they see. Well, how were they supposed to ask questions? Well, you were supposed to take your kids to the Jordan River and you're supposed to show them this pile of rocks and say, what do you see different about this pile of rocks? And they're going to say, well, they look different. What, what makes them different? And it was the Father's job to use this sign to tell the story of God's miracles and point the hearts of their children toward God. So you see, this basic pattern that is established in Exodus applies to each one of these things. It's to validate the message. It's to validate the messenger. It is to cause people to think about God and obey His Word. That's a sign. Now, we talk about wonders, and there's places in the Bible where the word wonder is used. And it's interesting, turn back a few pages to Deuteronomy chapter 13. The first place wonder is used is in an extremely negative situation here. Deuteronomy chapter 13, we're going to read the first five verses. It says, If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods, which... That, uh, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in, so shalt thou put away evil from the midst of thee. Now, did you get what it said here? It said, if a prophet offers you a sign or a wonder, and it comes to pass. He said, if the prophet gives you some miraculous phenomena happening, uh, it says the sun is going to come up tomorrow and it's going to be purple. And it does. 
And he said, now, see, that proves that God sent me and I'm from God and now I'm changing the message of God. What does the Bible say? Even though the sign comes to pass, if the message isn't verified by what you have written down, it is meaningless. Are we still together on that? First time the word wonders used, it's used with sign here, but a wonder is something that makes you stop and think. Some of you are old enough to remember. Well, maybe not in this group. I'm not. I just read about it. Gene Dixon prophesied the assassination of John F. Kennedy. How many of you have heard that story? She claimed to be a witch, and she claimed to be able to foretell the future. And she warned in a very public way. She said, President Kennedy, if you go to Dallas, you're going to die. And he did. And all of a sudden, everybody, wow! Well, somebody went through all the predictions that Gene Dixon made and found her to be about 19% accurate. That means out of every hundred things she said, 19 came to pass, and 81 of them she was wrong about. And yet, she is the most accurate witch in the known history that we know about. You know what God said about his prophets? 100% accuracy. That's why Micaiah, as they were dragging him out from the presence of Ahab and Hezekiah, he said, if he comes back in peace, hearken unto my words. He was saying, listen, if Ahab comes back, I'm not a prophet of God and you have the right to put me to death. But Ahab's not coming back because God said he's not. And he did come back, did. Just like the prophet said. But just because somebody says something that comes true doesn't guarantee that they came from God. You see, the guarantee is this book right here. You have to check the wonder by the Word of God. You have to check the sign by what's written down. And if there's not a drawing of your attention to the Word of God, if there's not a total agreement of what is in the Bible, then it's a false sign and a false wonder. Let's go to Psalm 71. Most people believe this psalm was written by David, but it really does not matter. The authorship of the psalm, the truth is very plain, and I, I think, uh, uh, just read verse 7 here of Psalm 71. The writer of this psalm says, I am a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. The next verse says, let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with thy honor all the day. So here's what the psalmist says. He says, I'm a wonder. Now, what is a wonder? A wonder is something very unusual. 
A wonder is something different. A wonder is something that you have to stop and just stare at. How many of you have ever been to Yellowstone National Park? It, it's full of wonders. I mean, you just stop and you say, Oh, that pool is a beautiful green. Then you see the little sign, Emerald Pool. And then you walk over here and not very far away, and it's bright red. And you see a little sign, this is the Ruby Pool. And, and this is that pool. And, that, and they got them all named different ones. And they tell you about the one where the little doggy fell in and got calcified in the boiling water. And the lady tried to jump in after her dog and they fished her out. And uh, don't jump in the water. It, it will kill you. Uh, the little sign and the story's there somewhere. Stay on the walkways. Don't put your finger in the water. How many of you have been there put your fingers in the water anyway? I did. I wanted to see how hot it was. And it was hot, but it didn't burn me. I was careful. But uh, I just, I'm one of those guys. I want to see. I want to test it out a little bit. But I didn't jump in, all right? Otherwise, I wouldn't be here today. But here's what we have. Is God said, God through the psalmist said, I want to use your life as an unusual phenomena to tell other people about me. Guess what? It's okay to be crazy for Jesus. Amen? It's okay to be very different. And... One of the most thing, different things you can do is to be satisfied with the life that God has given you where you're at. How many people do you know that are satisfied with life? Nobody. Old Rockefeller said, just another dollar, that's enough. I mean, he had billions of them back when a billion dollars was a billion dollars. And somebody asked him, how much money is enough? And he said, just another dollar. No matter how much you have, it's not enough. You always want more. We've got people trying to prove all kinds of things. but And this led to, uh, many years ago, coming up with a thing called lifestyle evangelism. You just live your life before the world and the difference will bring other people to Jesus. Well, you see, that doesn't work in New York City at all. Because you're going to meet so many weirdos of so many different stripes. You've got to open your mouth and explain that the reason you're weird the way you are is because of God. And it better be good. Amen? No, don't walk around with your lip dragging on the ground and sad and doom and gloom and, and all depressed about life and say, well, I love Jesus. Don't, don't do that to God. Don't, don't blame your ridiculous behavior on God. Let me tell you something. He wants to use us as a wonder to tell the people in this world how good God is. I'll tell you, I've been able to tell the story of union. And people wonder, where in the world did you get all that money? God provided. Why? Because He loves churches. Amen. Listen. God wants to make your life a wonder. 
He wants to put you on display. Read Ephesians chapter 2, and we got to keep moving. And, and so, we do have false wonders and false signs, but there is a true one. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God is warning the children of Israel of all the evil that is going to happen to them if they disobey His word. And then here's what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 46. It says, And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever, because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Here's what God said. He said, I'm going to bring my judgment. Read the preceding verses later. And, and I mean, it's a horrible list of things that God has pronounced against His people Israel. And every one of them has come true. Because they chose not to follow the Lord and His Word. God said, I'm going to use that for a sign and a wonder. How many of you remember the story of Hezekiah? Second Chronicles 23. He was sick unto death. And Isaiah went up to Hezekiah with the word from God, says, get your house in order, you're going to die. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he prayed and he prayed and he wept. And it said, before Isaiah got out of the king's house and into the courtyard out beside it, God came to Isaiah and he said, turn around and tell Hezekiah he's going to live. And Hezekiah asked for a sign, and, and God gave him a sign to prove that he would live. And they said, lay a lump of figs on the, on the boil, and you're going to recover, and you're going to go back, and you're going to worship the Lord. News traveled from Jerusalem to Babylon of Hezekiah's healing. Now, stop and think about that in a day when there was no electronic transfers at all, no, no radio, no uh, telegraph, uh, no, no nothing. And yet the message of Hezekiah's illness and his healing had gone the whole way from Jerusalem all the way up what they call the Fertile Crescent down into Babylon to the king of Babylon who sent his servants to inquire about this great sign that had happened, that Hezekiah was ready to die and he had been revived. And what did Hezekiah do? He showed them the riches of his kingdom and the storehouse of the temple and all of the great things that he had and his power, and not one word about God. Oh, I'm sure he said, the Lord healed me at the end of his wonderful testimony. But here's what the Bible says. It says, How be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. God left that wonder happen so that good King Hezekiah, and he was a good king, and he served the Lord, 
but it could be shown that his life was not all about God. There was a big portion of it that was all about Hezekiah. You know what? God uses these things to bring forth His Word, both good and bad. Sometimes God allows false signs and wonders to happen to make sure that your faith is not in signs and wonders, but is in God's Word. Signs and wonders only function to take your attention to the Word of God. Anything other than that, you're going to get in trouble. Now we get to the New Testament, and I'm just going to read a few verses. Acts chapter 14, talking about Paul, it says, Long time therefore they abode speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of His grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Paul, again, is speaking Romans 15, verse 19. He says, Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about into Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. As he was reprimanding the Corinthians, he said, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, and in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. In Hebrews chapter 2, as it's giving a summary of God's revelation to mankind through his prophets, it says, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. We're not afraid of the fact that they spoke with other languages in the book of Acts. But we're not going to swallow that what goes on in the modern-day Pentecostal charismatic church is from God. Because it's not. The apostles wrought real miracles. People were healed, that were sick, that were blind, that were dead, brought back to life. What goes on in a Benny Hinn uh, outfit is not what went on in the book of Acts. And here's why. God gave the signs and the wonders. He verified the messengers and the message. After that's been done, what purpose do you fulfill in re-verifying the verified message? Except to cast doubt upon the verification process that happened before. You see, that's why God gave those signs and wonders to people who didn't have one of these. But now that you have one of these, you don't need a sign. Somebody said, well, I just felt like the Lord said to go to church on Sunday. God gave me a sign. I got one of your tracks, so the Lord must want me to come to church. You know what? You don't need a sign to come to church on Sunday. The Bible already takes care of that in black and white. Read Hebrews chapter 10. Amen? 
you, you don't need to have a sign if, to get saved. I, I like uh, some of those old bluegrass songs, hillbilly songs they call them. And if you don't, that's your business. But I don't like the words to some of them because some of them just aren't right. And they need to get an education and said, uh, I know Jesus loved me because I saw him standing there. Well, no, you're not going to see Jesus at the foot of your bed. I'm sorry. Somebody said years ago they made a big deal about they saw Jesus' face reflected in the clouds. How many of you have heard that story over and over again? No. The sign has been given. Both the messenger and the message has been verified. Therefore, there are no signs. But I want to tell you something. There are going to be. There are signs and wonders coming. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24. For there shall rise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Do you get what Jesus is saying there? He said these signs and wonders that are coming are going to be so real. You see, that's what's going to make Antichrist, when he shows up on the scene, so different than Benny Hinn and all the rest of them. And why they're going to come and fall at his feet, because they will know the miracles that he's doing is real. And they know how they do their miracles. They know how they use illusion and... Manipulation of mind and emotions to get their miracles done. But when Antichrist shows up, they're going to be real. You see, if you refuse to believe God's Word without signs and wonders, the Bible is very plain, you will be deceived by the signs and wonders of the Antichrist. That's why it's so important to believe God's Word today. That's why it's so important to verify. That's why we do not trust our dreams or our premonitions or our wishes. I'll tell you, there's a whole world out there. and The best way I know how to put it is you better be careful. The, word, the world is full of voices. And you can tune in to stations and channels that God never intended you to tune into. And you will feel just as convinced as you possibly can be. But you'll find yourself doing stuff that's diametrically opposed to this book called the Bible. Because God didn't intend for us to walk in the voice of our own heart or in the voices that we hear. He intended us to be obedient to the word that he's already proved, that he's already verified. Can we say amen to that? It's 2 Thessalonians says, Even him, talking about the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. It, that's the, God has finished his works, his miraculous event. Now, does God still do miracles? Of course he does. You're sitting in one right now. 
If you're saved today, that's a miracle of God, is it not? How many of you remember what it took to get you off the road to hell and onto the road to heaven? That God himself would intervene in your personal life to the degree that it took for you to surrender to him. You don't need signs. I've always gotten a little irritated with people who say, well, we've got a new... I said, listen, I'm still trying to take care of the old. How many are with me on that? Uh, if I ever get everything in the Bible done that I'm supposed to do, I'll call you. But don't hold your breath. Because I'm struggling against myself and the world and everything that is out there to serve the Lord. And it's going to take until I get to heaven to get the job done. How about you? I don't have time to waste on something new. Don't tell me how, how provable this is and... This is some sign or wonder. In fact, it was Jesus that told the Pharisees, you're not getting any sign. You're not getting any wonders. There's no sign given to this generation except one, the sign of the prophet Jonas. Because everything Jesus did was in accordance to the Word of God. All they had to do was get out their scrolls and match Jesus up. In fact, he looked into their face and said, Which one of you accused me of sin? Now, he was talking to the Pharisees. The guys that had gathered together with the Herodians, Herod's secret police, we might say, trying to plot Jesus' death. And Jesus looks at them and said, If you can judge me anything wrong that I have done. Speak it before this entire crowd. Who would like to say that? I'm not going to say that. Because there might be somebody that comes up and says something. But Jesus could say that because he had never sinned. You see, signs and wonders will not Bring faith. Faith is a choice you must make in response to God's words. If you want verification of God's words, that's where the signs and wonders come in. If you want to be pointed to God's words, I wish I had a dollar for every person who said, How do you put up with 12 kids? I can't stand one. I say, well, you know, sometimes I think God gave us all these kids just so that we could say, God provided. God allows us. It's by God's grace. And if he didn't give you 12 children, then don't say that. Amen? Because that's not your testimony. But you'll have another one. Because God wants you to have a testimony of His grace. He wants to do things in your life that make people wonder about how good God is. And I don't need to have diamond pinky rings and, and uh, uh, drive a Ferrari to tell you how good God is. Because either one of those things would really be stupid around here now, wouldn't it? Somebody might cut that finger off and I needed to hold a hammer. Amen. Uh, the, the whole thing is, we look at all of these crazy things in the world. 
We just finished the Olympics. How insane do you have to be to compete in the Olympics? I mean, just talk to that one swimmer guy. He didn't know that somebody was holding a gun to his head, you know? I mean, or maybe he dreamed it. I don't know what happened, but he's in big trouble now. But, but I, I just tell you that it's proof of the fact that to compete on that level, you've got to be nuts. You've got to give your whole life to learn how to swim. I really don't care about swimming. And all of those things that they do, contortionist and all of that, watch it if that's what you've got to do, but it just makes me sick. I hurt in places I didn't even know I had trying to figure out how in the world you do that stupid stuff. I'll just be content to serve the Lord where He's put me. And what's really funny is the crazy people call me crazy. Thank you very much. Maybe, maybe God is using me for a little bit of a wonder. I would love to be able to do that. Give a testimony of the goodness of God. He wants to do that in everyone's life here. And he'll do it if you let him. Signs and wonders. We have them to verify the book. So it's been verified. Stop worrying about signs and wonders and start worrying about obedience. Amen? If God wants to use you as a sign... Say, yes, Lord. And he will. But remember, signs and wonders are no guarantee of the truth. Don't get shook up if Benny Hinn comes on the newspaper saying, here's an official blind person that I made see by the power of God in me. Okay. You know what? You're so wrong on so many things that the fact that you could perform one real miracle which you never have in all these years is not going to phase me or change my mind one little bit. You see, it's in the Word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You and we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that we can trust it We thank You that You have verified it and proven it to us beyond any shadow of honest doubt. But Lord, my main prayer tonight is that we would be willing to be made a sign and wonder to our generation. As the psalmist said, I'm I'm a wonder. I'm something that makes people think. And, Lord, that we would take advantage of every opportunity to point people to your goodness and to your grace. We ask you to work in our hearts and give us patience and strength to endure that you ask us to endure that we may be your servants, that you may get glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, if you need to just slip out of your seat, you can...